campus minister here. Uh, I want to, every week we want to extend a warm welcome to whoever's visiting with us, but I just want to welcome them. Duke RUF and Christ Prez Youth Group. Um, we're so grateful to have you all here and to worship with you all. And, you know, I mean, just, the gospel is bigger than basketball rivalries. Can we just say that? That's awesome. <laughs> For some of us. <laughs> also, want to say that, uh, that RUF exists. Um, not for itself, but it also doesn't exist because of itself. It exists because of Jesus and his work. And we believe that Jesus isn't uh, just kind of a myth or someone that is just kind of out there, but he's a real historical person who acted in history and still acts now because he's both God and man who died for people's sins. So we exist because of him. We exist for him. We exist to love people for him and through him and in some ways to him. Um, but Arya does not exist for itself. We exist for one another, we exist for Jesus. Um, so I want to say that because Jesus has made us welcome to himself. And so if you see someone here you don't know, make them welcome. Because um, that's what Jesus has done for you. So invite people in, welcome them, say hey to them if you don't know them. Um, it's not too hard. So let's get started here. Um, I feel like a lot of the stories I tell are about St. Louis. Uh, it was a big period of my life. <laughs> Uh, and here's another example of that. Uh, when Kate and I were in St. Louis, we were in a church, and we were involved in a church small group with some friends there. And they already had, like, three kids of their own. I know they had already three kids. It's not a like thing. They had three kids of their own. Um, but they really felt, as they were in our small group together, they really felt that God had laid on our hearts to adopt. Um, and they started to look around at kind of their options for that. And there's nothing wrong with domestic adoption, but they just felt like they wanted to do international adoption, and so they started to look around, and they found this orphanage in Uganda, and they started to go through that process, and people who had done adoption, especially internationally before, told them, you know, this is extremely costly, not only in terms of money, which is significant, but also emotionally costly, that other people had done a foreign adoption, and told them this, that it's not easy, that there's going to be a lot of red tape, um, there's probably some government corruption that you already have three kids, uh, they still need you as parents. And plus part of the process to adopt from Uganda meant that you had to go to Uganda and spend time with the child that you were going to adopt in front of this Ugandan adoption agent to make sure that you weren't abusive or you weren't going to traffic them or anything like that, which is actually a really good thing. But for people who live in St. Louis and have three kids, it was not an easy thing. And so over the course of almost a year, we prayed with them and walked with them through this. And finally, it got to the day where they'd gone over to Uganda, they jumped through all the hoops, they paid the money they needed to pay, they'd just kind of gone through the red tape, and they're bringing their child back. His name was Judah, and he'd been abandoned in a taxi cab by his mother in Kampala. Um, he lived in this orphanage, there'd been no guarantee of food, no guarantee of a loving smile. He'd been poor, he had, had no family. And what really struck me was... When they get the green light to adopt him, and they bring him over to the United States, Katie and I went to the airport. And it was almost this kind of party atmosphere where people, like, there was literally music playing, I think. And there were signs, and there were banners, and people were chanting, like, Judah, Judah, Judah. They were so excited. And this little boy comes around the, the curb, and he's African. And my friend was this, this white guy from Tennessee. And they were holding hands, and it was so beautiful. Y'all, it was one of those beautiful moments I'd ever seen. Because here is this boy 
who had had no home, but he was coming home. Here was a boy who had had no brothers and no sisters, but all of a sudden he was part of a family of four. Here was a boy who had no mother and no father, and all of a sudden he was just showered in kisses and hugs. And what was so beautiful about this is that on the day that Judah was adopted, he had this legal declaration set about him, that he was a United States citizen, that he was entitled to all the, all the things that uh, my friend's kids would have gotten too. And even this boy who was abandoned in a taxi cab, and suddenly he had this nice house in the suburbs. So there's this blessing that he received. But it wasn't just a blessing that he got, but it was a privilege too. They got the privilege of being a son. They got the privilege of being a brother. They suddenly had the privilege of being in this family. It was not just a legal declaration, but it was a, a declaration of privilege as well. This semester we've been reading through the New Testament letter to the Galatians. And Paul has just been going hammer and tongs about what it means to be justified through faith in Jesus. Saying that no one can be right by God through their work or through the kind of strength of their character. But everyone who is right with God is made right through faith in Jesus. And this faith is not faith in itself, but it's faith in Jesus' work on our behalf. And that through this faith, it becomes that defined, his work becomes a defining characteristic of their life. That neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, all are one in Jesus. Because his work becomes this defining element of your life. And this comes because God has taken everything that is Jesus's and he's given it to you. And here Paul takes a step back in Galatians 4. And he says, if God has really and truly done these things, and it's not myth, but it's history, what does that mean for us? Not just what has he done for you, but who are you because of what he has done? The blessing of the good news of Jesus is that you're forgiven of your sins, legally and truly. And you're reconciled to God and one another through Jesus' work. But the privilege of the gospel is that you are adopted into God's house. As God's son or as God's daughter. And even though you existed as a slave before, you were not a slave. But you are a son or a daughter of God. I think our problem is that we have all this blessing. We have all this privilege. We don't realize what that privilege is. That there's a way you can be God's child, adopted with all those privileges that comes with that, but you can just live as though you were not. You can live as though you were in His house, but you weren't actually part of His house. And so tonight I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about what is the spirit of slavery, and then what is the spirit of adoption. What's the spirit of slavery, what is the spirit of adoption. And before I read this, I know I've said this before, I said it last week. But I think it's helpful to say it again because I know it's a big deal. Um, but when Paul is saying that everyone here is a son of God through faith, he's not in the illusion that women aren't in the church in Galatia. He celebrates that. He, the New Testament actually lifts up women and celebrates them. But he says this so there's no doubt in anyone's mind that everyone has an equal standing in Jesus. So that everyone knows that they enjoy the full status of Jesus himself. And if Jesus is a son, then in God's sight you are an equal owner in his sonship. And that's Paul's point here as he, he talks about sonship here. So let's read Galatians 4, 1-7, and we'll pray. This is Paul talking. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. 
but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir to God. Can you pray for us in the start? Father, I pray that you would send the spirit of your son tonight. Um, Lord, that he would call out in our hearts, Abba, Father, that we would look to you. Um, Lord, not just for the blessing of the gospel, but it's real and it's true and it is good. But Lord, for the privilege as well. God, that you would call us your children, that you would sing over us, you would in us. Lord, that we would um, really and truly be united to your Son. God, that we would know that uniting. God, that we would um, just know the power and the goodness of your Son and your Spirit and your Word tonight. And your Son's name we pray. Amen. So what's the spirit of slavery here? What's the spirit of slavery? Look at what Paul says in verses 1 through 2 here. He, he looks at this and he says, you know, there's, it's kind of like if you were a child in some sort of estate and you couldn't really inherit the things that were on that estate yet, but you were still that child, but you really didn't have the responsibilities or the ability to own these things. And he points out there's a way that you can own something but not own the ability to use it. That there's a law that we can live under in our hearts which can make us feel as though we were not owners in the gospel but instead, we're really God's children. You know, have you, you can look at yourself in the mirror sometimes and wonder, like, have I felt sorry enough for the first semester of my first year and for the people that I heard as I partied and as I hooked up and I did all those things? You just feel this burden there. Or you can look and you say, you know, what other people tell me is that I'm a hard worker, but I just cannot shake this feeling no matter what I do, or how much I get involved with it, I'm this lazy person. That I can work and I can feel lazy, or I can not work and I can feel lazy, but no matter what I do, I just live under this rain cloud of guilt. There are these things that you just carry around with you, and you can't shake them. Look what Paul says here in verse 3, that when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What does he mean by that? What are the elementary principles of the world? That those are the basic things that when taken together just build this larger view of the world for you. The things that you do, the things that you don't do, reveal an awful lot about what you believe about yourself and about what you believe about the world. The way that you compare yourself to others, or the way you try to minimize your sin compared to others, says a lot about the elementary things that you're using to build your world. You know, you can feel really bad about yourself until you see what this person over here was doing. Or until you look at her, and then you feel a lot better. You know, at least I'm not as bad as them. At least I haven't done all those things that they've done. When you forget the freedom that God has given you in Jesus, then you fall into some other law. Because we ought to live under something. It will either be the law of your own work, or it will be the law of Christ's work on your behalf. And I think where this really hits us hard is in the topic of rest. You know, you can hear a really hard-hitting sermon on things like not lying, or not stealing, or unforgiveness, and think, yeah, that's exactly what I ought to be doing. But then we hear this sermon on maybe the necessity of Sabbath, and taking a, a day off to go and rest, 
and worship with God's people and think on the benefits that God's given you and spend just time enjoying God's creation and just being. And you can leave thinking, well, I don't know if you can really say that. I don't know if that's really for me. Why is that? Why do we struggle with that? I think because we can live under a different law. That we can have a sense that, you know, rest is for people who are in and work is for people who are out. And it can be hard to feel like you're in with God. It can be hard to feel like you are actually His child. You just have this sense that I can just be. And I know this is true because as I stand up here, a lot of you want me to just tell you what to do and how to do it. But my main job is not to tell you what to do. My main job is to tell you who you are and who you belong to. And the doing will come out of that. And so we wonder, you know, do, you know, do we know enough different types of people? Do we have that broad enough network? Or if I walk into a room, are there people who will notice me come in? Or am I making a big enough mark on my campus? You know, we can live by these elementary principles that make us feel like we're enslaved. They make us feel like we live in this orphanage. But in reality, you're not a slave. You're not an orphan. Through Christ's work, you're God's child. This takes me to the second point. What is the spirit of adoption? Look at verses 4 through 5 here. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Let me just stop there. Jesus takes on everything about your humanity. He's born through a woman, like the rest of us. He becomes a human being, just like you and me. And he does that to redeem those who are under a law, so that we would receive adoption as sons and daughters. Look at the intention here. God sent in order to redeem, which literally means to buy you back. Why does he do that? So that we could be worker bees, so that we would never feel like we measured up, so that we would be adopted children, so that everything that Jesus ever had, ever would have, would be yours. Jesus died on a cross so that you would be adopted by God. The blessing is forgiveness of sins, but the privilege of the gospel is adoption as God's beloved child. You know, I was reading a scholar recently, he said, you know, if you really want to get down to brass tacks, and you really want to know what kind of the big reveal of the New Testament is, it's this. That if you take Jesus, if you take the cross, if you take the resurrection, if you take the apostles, if you take everything in the New Testament and you ask, you know, what is the reveal here? What's the point of faith in Jesus? It's that God is your Father. And he said that if you want to judge how well someone understands Christianity... Ask what they make of being God's child. And ask what they make of God being your father. And someone can look at that and say, you know, I thought that God was a judge. And he is a judge. And he doesn't look away from sin. But the beauty of the New Testament, the beauty of the gospel, is that he's more than a judge. Is that he condemns sin in his son on the cross in order to make the guilty person his child. You know, I say some of this, I know that some of you had a really wonderful experience with your father, you all are super close, and you're tight. But I also know that others of you, you know, would not say that. And you had a really hard experience with your father. But regardless of where you're coming from, Paul's point here is that God has revealed himself to be the father we all crave. And whether you experience this in your family or not, that if you are in Christ, you are his child. 
to not call God your Father is not to really be the true you. That He is affectionate towards you as a child. He is steadfast for you. He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't leave when you mess up. Or when you just do something you just hate about yourself. That He's steadfast. And he looks at you and He grows you up in maturity. So there's things about you that you know, like, oh, the stuff that I do over and over again, the fact that I'm totally addicted to BuzzFeed quizzes, the fact that I'm totally not speaking for my own. <laughs> That's for a friend. <laughs> or the fact that you're just totally addicted to yourself and you live a life of self-promotion even though you're in Christ. You know, he knows it about you, and he doesn't turn away from you, but he says, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to grow you out of this thing. I'm going to refine you. I'm going to make you more and more and more of my child here. You're going to reflect more of what it is to be my son, more of what it is to be my daughter. That he is the ultimate provider of your needs. He gives you what you most need in him. And you are most truly found in relationship to him. That the truest you is in relationship to God. And as Paul says here, the work of the Spirit in your life is to teach you this. The true you will only be found or will only be experienced when you live out of this childhood. That the point of God's Spirit in your life is to learn to cry, Abba, Daddy, with real affection, with real vulnerability. And the worst times of life, then when you're sick, when people you love are sick, you feel totally alone in the best times of life. It's just a glorious day outside. But to learn how to cry, Abba, Father, God, you're good. God, help me. God, you're my Father. And most of our problem with ourselves comes back to the fact that we can't stop thinking about ourselves. And most of God's work in your life is to get you to focus off of you and put it on the love of God the Father and on the gift of His Son, and on the Spirit who connects us to both of them. Because the truest thing about you is that Jesus has died so that God could say the same thing about you that He said about Him. That this is my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. That Jesus gives you the praise of His Father. That I am pleased with you. And He gives you the title of His child. That you are His beloved. And if you thought more about how much God loves you instead of your acne or instead of your, your cellulite, you'd be so much less neurotic. But you'd be so much more of who you are. And beloved, Paul point, Paul's point here is this, is that there's a Father here who loves you and you don't have to perform for it in order for Him to delight in you. And that for some of this, us, this is crazy talk because you never had the experience of a Father like that let alone one who loved you. Just plain, simple you, without frills, without work, without personality. He just looks at you, and He loves you, and He likes you. You know, for some of us, your dad worked real hard so you could get away from your mom and from you and your siblings. But God worked real hard so He could be with you. So He could stand with you and put His arm around you. And one day look you in the face and say, this is my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased. And then that is the beauty and the privilege of the gospel. And the work of the Spirit our whole life long is to teach us to cry out in that and to live out of that and to love people out of that 
as God's child. I'll end with this. I know I've told this story before, but it's been a really powerful story in my life, so I'll tell it again. Um, there's a missionary named Jack Miller who lived uh, and died a few years ago, but he tells a story that he was one time having this, co- this Christian conference, and he was on um, what it is it mean to be God's child. And this woman came up to him at the end of the conference, and she said, you know, like, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with what you say. I know it's true, but I just don't feel it. I just don't feel like I'm God's child. I feel this huge roadblock in my heart. And Jack Miller talks to her for a little bit, and realizes this is kind of bigger than him, so he gives her name and number of a counselor, and she goes and she meets with this counselor. And there's probably, you know, like soft light and sound machine in the background, kind of that order. The counselor's looking across from her, and she asks this woman, she says, you know, like, where do you think this comes from? Why do you think this roadblock is here? And I said, I, I really don't know, but I know that when I was little, my dad was a businessman. He'd go on these long business trips, and he'd be gone for a long time. It was always a really big deal when he came home. And so my mom, what she would do is she would wash his shirts. He'd have to turn around and go back out real quick. So she would wash and dry his kind of white businessman shirts. And I was real little. I remember helping her one day, and... She was hanging up on the clothes on, but I was too small, and there was an overturned rusty wheelbarrow in her yard. And so I took one of his clean white shirts and just hung it on the wheelbarrow. And that shirt got so dirty and so rusty and ruined. And my dad was so mad at me for that. He was so angry. He only just cried right there in the counselor's office. And the counselor checked up a little bit too, and she said, well, what? What do you think Jesus would have done with that shirt? What do you think he would have done with that? And we said, I don't know. I don't know what he would have done with that shirt. And the counselor looked at her and said he would have worn it. Jesus would have worn that rusty, dirty shirt. And beloved, Jesus wears your shame. And he wears your dirt. And he wears your crap. Because he loves you. Because the goodness of the gospel is that Jesus wears your stuff so that you would wear his stuff. So that you wear God's love and his welcome and his delight. So he would look at you and call you his child. And he would sing over you and delight in you. And the freedom of the gospel is you can live out of that. And you can cry, Abba, Father, and be free. And you can pray out of that. And you can be vulnerable out of that. And you can be strong out of that. And you can love your roommates out of that. You can serve the church one day out of that. And be married out of that. Because you are God's child. Through faith in Christ. Because He has worn your stuff. And He has made you God's beloved. So let's pray and worship Him. Father, thank You for Your goodness to us. For Your mercy, for Your kindness, for everything You give us. Because You adopt us as Your children. Lord, Your blessing is that You count those sins against us. Lord, that legally we can stand before you with a perfect, spotless, bulletproof record. And Lord, your privilege is that you call us your sons and your daughters. And you put your arms around us. And you run after us. And you embrace us. And Lord, I pray that we would live out of the blessing and the privilege of the gospel. And we love people out of that. And we pursue holiness out of that. And Lord, that we would wrestle with you out of that. 
for all of our flaws. Lord, I pray now that we would sing like that. In your sense that we pray.